Welcome to the Red Bearded Predator Podcast, folks. This week, we are going to talk about the first harvest of the year, which was Eric Stowe in Iowa. And Bud's going to ask Eric a bunch of questions of how that hunt played out, along with if we were the deer czars of the state of Wisconsin, what we would do to improve the herd around the state of Wisconsin. It's a pretty entertaining conversation. Hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. How you doing, bud? Oh, couldn't be better. Couldn't you be better. Well, I'm happier. I'm happier six feet above ground. I wasn't sure if you were going to make it another day or not. Trust me. that You gave me your cold, so I think I, I am dying. Oh, are you? Yeah. Well, my dad has cold, too, so, hmm. I wonder what's Rich. going on there. Pretty sure you gave it to us. Hmm. I was feeling so I think, fine until like Monday when you left. Yeah, I think his house gave it to me, and I went to your house and I gave it to you. So now it's your turn to give it to someone else. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Or it was probably that deer that uh, <laughs> that I shot during gun season. So could be. Yeah. But anyway, should we get into that? First Iowa doe hunt? Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, just to kind of give you folks uh, a a recap of when this hunt occurred, it was uh, middle of October. Um, I was actually trying to fill a buck tag like I was throughout the season in Iowa. And what ended up happening is I was walking a crp field and i was walking towards this uh bedding knob where bucks were bedding on the edge of a cornfield and i ended up uh bumping a buck out of that bedding area that i didn't know was a bedding area at that time and ended up pushing him to a cornfield and after i pushed him to a cornfield i ended up trying to go in his general direction Ended up not seeing him on that evening's evening's hunt. So, uh, Bud and I devised a plan kind of to hunt that buck. And it it came to the next morning. And uh, Bud and I were talking about me setting up to observe how he was accessing his bed. So, I got in this observation stand to see, you know, how that buck was getting into that knob, seeing if he was J-hooking, see if he was walking the CRP edge to access that bed. I I don't know, because I wasn't familiar with that bedding area. But do you have any questions up to this point? Uh, I guess my, my question would be, so you didn't know it was a bedding area until you jumped the deer out. Did you have any, uh, as far as like history with this property, did you ever do any scouting on it or was that your first time on it? Yeah, so this actual property is a property that Bud and I ended up hunting opening weekend. And we actually hunted the exact opposite end of the property. And when we were on the, the exact opposite end of the property, Bud and I noticed some really, really good rubs. Um, probably, I don't know, rubs were 
centered to the belly of the of the rub and we hunted a buck bedding area that i knew about down down by the river so this property was extremely diverse it had some hill country it had some river bottom type stuff had some egg ground so it, it was it was a really diverse property so Bud and I were talking about how I could stage hunt this property. And if we didn't see fresh sign away from that river bottom where we did hunt, we would hunt some, hunt that freshest sign. But we ended up making it down to that river bottom and ended up seeing uh, four or five does that night. And unfortunately, that buck was not there. Um, so Bud's like, he's got to be somewhere around here. And a lot of his rubs were coming from that opposite end, too. That They weren't just focused on one end. So we were like, why not just hunt the other end? And maybe he's at the at the north end of that property. And I think just to give people a visual how this bedding knob laid out. So this ridge was a north-facing ridge. So this knob... Um, was just it was almost like a little island the way it laid out and this knob overlooked a crp field so this buck could bed down on this knob overlook the crp field and have a south wind whether it was south southwest south southeast he could have wind coming to his back um with the thick stuff and the corn to his back to where if he saw something he could just escape to the cornfield kind of what ended up happening in this scenario is i was accessing from the crp field he ended up catching a glimpse from me he went the escape cover of the cornfield yeah so is that the only deer or was he with anything or nope he was bedded by himself and uh once i got in his bed uh (laughs) could tell it was a good buck it was a good buck and I don't think he was the only buck there at that specific. Well, he wasn't the only buck using that. He was just the only buck there on that day. Yeah. Because there was all sorts of rubs in there and there was all sorts of different buck bedding in there. But you could definitely tell where the kingpin bucks were bedded, though. Like there was like satellite bedding. Then there was like the kingpin, the two kingpins, I should say, because there's two. I, I think there's two really good bucks in there. So Yeah. So but like I said, Bud and I discussed let's figure out how these bucks are accessing it. And that ended up leading leading me to the morning hunt. So I it, it was like two uh just under three quarters of a mile walk in there. Got set up in the morning, ended up you know, glass in that knob, glass in the CRP field. And what do you know it? Have Mrs. Doe and her number coming <laughs> in. And I was like, I really don't want to take a doe. I really don't want to take a doe. And they were working from my north to my south. Um, it looked like they were heading to the CRP field, the bed down, because there's all sorts of doe beds in that CRP grass. And they kept on working closer. Wind was in my favor. They got closer. And they got, they were from my left, heading to my right. (laughs) And I was like, 
man, I got my camera arm around the tree, set up perfect for the shot. I have my second angle cam set up perfect. I'm like, are they really going to make it this easy? And they did. That doe walked <laughs> 10 yards. It's kind of broadside, kind of according to after looking at the footage. And bud, what would have you done with the doe at 10 yards? Well, I would have shot it. <laughs> I would have shot it at 15. Yeah, she got to about 10 to 15, and I couldn't resist. <laughs> uh, and you're only three quarters of a mile back. Yeah, and it was a downhill drag. So that's a pretty big difference. So I ended up letting the arrow eat and ended up getting a getting a shot at her. And I thought I made one of the worst shots of my life at that deer. So I text Bud. I'm like, made a marginal shot. So got down, looked at there. I wasn't happy with myself. And found out after looking at there, it wasn't that bad. It was just... Entered through the lungs and went out the gut just because she was quartering to a little bit more than I thought. Yeah, and I went through the footage. She was kind of folded in half. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of when, uh, I don't know, the rodeo kind of began a little bit because I was like, I couldn't find a single drop of blood. And even yeah. on the track job, I never found a single ounce of blood. And I'm starting to learn that with... Uh, Fixed blades is that that there's disadvantages and there's advantages to mechanicals and and uh, and fixed blade broadheads. So fixed blades haven't been the best blood trails, but uh, ended up getting a, the the pass through is fine. So I was like, Bud, what do you think I should do? And I was me and him were kind of on the same page of. Let's just get a dog be safe. So I backed out for about six hours, you'd say, bud, six to eight. Call call the call the uh, a dog. Well, call the dog owner and I was like, Hey Lisa, you got anything going on this any this afternoon, any tracks or anything like that? She's like, No. She's like, I'll be more than happy to take up a track with you. So I had uh Lisa um, contacted her through United Blood Trackers, and she was right out there at 3.30 in the afternoon, and that's when the trail began. Any questions so far, bud? Uh, I mean, I get something to fill in. You know, you just, how long after you shot, I mean, how far could you watch her in, like, the last point of you saw her? Yeah, so her her body language was really interesting. When it, part of the reason I thought it was a marginal hit, because after I hit her, she like ran about twenty yards, then she like walked off extremely slow. But she walked off like she wasn't even hit. So that's what was concerning to me is you know just the lack of reaction. It was no death run or anything like that. And yeah. she went off about 75 yards and got to crest the hill. And I lost her. I The CRP grass just made it difficult for me to see. So I was like, I bet you she just made it to the other side. But 
I'm always cautious on these things. I'd rather drop a hundred dollars on a dog than, you know, bust something out and never find it. So yeah, yeah. So Lisa got there about three thirty-four. We ended up taking the track, and the track was actually uh, very confusing for her dog. Um, it because of how easy the track was, I think, and that's what Lisa thinks. Um, so we ended up taking the track. She ended up like getting to a certain point and just started going off on random trails, like had no like lead on anything. Like we couldn't find blood. We couldn't find anything. We're like, this is way trickier than we thought it would be. And we did the, we ended up putting on like two miles, just looping around in this like CRP field. And, uh, we actually went through the cornfield, uh, went down in the draw, went up the draw. So Lisa's like, let's make another run at it. Let's uh, start from square one and we will um, just see where that takes us. So we ended up going back to the hit site, ended up doing the same exact thing again. And the dog just all of a sudden would get to a point and just start veering off. So when we got to that point, we're like, maybe the deer's just like right here. Yeah. So we ended we ended up doing like a half half circle around just on the downwind side of where that dog was catching. Wouldn't you know it? The deer was ten yards away from that trail. <laughs> so we think the dog actually was like leading us to it and knew it was there, but the dog, I don't think showed very much excitement that's what lisa thinks too because the dog was like this is easy you guys are idiots (laughs) so it was like shockingly easy for the dog so yeah do you remember like what was the last time you had rain down there was there was there a lot of moisture um do you want to fix your mic it's sounding a little weird i don't know i don't know now you're sounding better. <clears throat> um, so the last time we had rain down there was it was it was way before that, like maybe five to seven days. So it was it was fairly dry. I know we had rain opening weekend. Mm-hmm. And then because I, I always know that's a big part of like the dog tracking is you know if you have moisture in the air it's better yeah yeah no it was uh i think that's what was difficult for the dog too i think uh the the wind it uh with the dry air and the wind it made it really difficult for it to track so we were kind of the reason we went back too is because the thermals are starting to drop and there's a you know how it gets a little bit of moisture towards dusk we're thinking that would have helped too but (laughs) We just think the dog was just like, it's right here, guys. Like, Yeah, there wasn't a challenge for it. No, there is no challenge. It literally got to that crest where I saw it last and literally died just on the other side. And honestly, Lisa was saying, she's like, you didn't need the dog. I was like, I know. But she's like, I'm happy that you were safe rather than bumping it. And then that creates a whole nother fiasco. So, yeah. 
yeah. I mean, I'd rather do that than messing up other guys' hunts because you're chasing all over property. It's just, I, I like the more I do this, the more it's like just get a dog, just pay. I, they never ask for anything, but I always just give them a hundred dollars and call it good. Because, yeah, like Bud was saying, most of the time they're just looking for their gas to be covered and you know their dog supplies and whatnot to be covered. So, yeah. And uh, I do have to say, Lisa was an absolute champ um, when tracking the dog. They, the the dog people always amaze me, like how hard they work to find your animal. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's one of those things. I've never experienced it yet, but I, I mean, I definitely like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's... Like, it's like they have no stop. It's like they are going to find that deer. Like, there, there's, I mean, if they know it's dead, they, they don't give up. It's, it's super cool. Yeah. Super cool to see. Anything else on that first, uh, first harvest of the year, bud? I guess being in there, I mean, yeah, you got to go, but did you learn anything from that hunt? Uh, Actually, the stuff I learned was um, from the previous day was how they bedded on those little knobs, like, on the edges of, of egg. I mean, this knob is no bigger than a 30 by 50 yard area, and it was just stacked yeah. with buck sign in there. It's just it never ceased to, ceases to amaze me. It's those little freaking pockets. Yeah, like I would have never. I, it's a spot that did not stick out, and the thing that amazed me about that spot too, as I walked out that night, down in the valley below, I counted five to seven tree stands. There was no tree stands, two hundred fifty yards, or within, nah, within two hundred fifty to four hundred yards of that knob. There's nothing. No sign of humans, no nothing. But in that valley and just like below the crest there, that's where all the humans were. And they find yeah. those little freaking pockets. It's it's amazing. And all they have to do to survive, they got cover, they got crops, uh, they just had work walk 30 yards to those crops, and they had water nearby too, because in that drainage there is water. Um, yep. uh, spring so I mean it just had everything and they didn't have to move far especially the mature ones so it's kind of like the pocket that we I'll go on a little bit of rant here folks because I, I think it's a very important topic is just finding those small little pockets uh, Bud and I were out was out scouting this past weekend and Every spot where we found good mature buck sign, it was a small little off to the side pocket that people weren't getting to. Um, one example that I can think of is when I was actually, I did a bunch of roadside spot scouting and there was a parking area, then there was an access road going to the Wayback Timber. And I got into the pocket that was just to the right of this access spot 
and it was only 100 yards, if that, away from this access trail, and where was the big buck sign? Right there. No one's going in there. So there's always spots to be had. And I think another spot that Bud picked out is no one's getting back there in another little pocket. Yeah. So, yeah. So moral of the story is check everything, in my opinion. Check everything. Like, I mean, it doesn't always have... I mean, we talk about transitions, but I mean, that it can be the softest transition. It, it, I just try and walk almost all the ground now. I, I really do. Like, because even if you get a pocket the size, get a pocket that you can't see on the map the size of your living room, like that's half acre or less, that won't show up on the map. Like, check it. Like. It's a little transition you won't see. So. Yeah. No, we were seeing that this weekend. I mean, that one marsh or swamp or whatever you call it. Looking at a map, it was all monotonous. But we actually got in there, and we were finding little high islands in all this water, and it was just stacked aside. But, I mean, you you wouldn't even – it was just that one-foot one elevation change, and – you don't see that on a topo map. You don't see it, you know, on any type of Google Earth. But that's just enough to hold them. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like Bud said, it was literally one foot difference was the difference between being in deer and not being in deer. Yep. So, like, yeah, you can eliminate ground quick. You can find those hard transitions. But I, I think the more I'm doing this stuff, and I think the more Bud's doing this stuff, those really soft transitions are where it's at. Yeah. So. Because you know, we saw, so, we saw on that other property where it was just nothing but tag alders, but then there was an opening in the tag alders. Yep. And that's where all the sign was. Yep. Yep. So I, 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 that's always my biggest takeaway. Those just little spots. Yeah, it's I it's mean, definitely you got to get boots on the ground. You just got to put the time in. Yeah, and I mean, I spent years e scouting my Iowa tag, like years boots on the ground, and you can never catch it all. You never can catch it all. No, but. When you catch those spots, that's when you got to hit them. So, yeah, I think I think that's the thing I learned is little knobs on the edge of a egg fields, especially that have corn. I'll, I'll be checking those for now on, no matter where they're at, even if they're by people and if I think people are there, because people are going to have a tough time hunting those deer because the deer have all advantages. They're there for a reason, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, I guess uh, that's a good way to wrap up the, our discussion about the first harvest of the year. And like I said, we're going to have a couple, I don't know, probably like five, six more of these. Um, just in a, a couple examples is we're going to have, uh, when Zeb and I doubled up uh, coming up here, uh, we're going to talk about my accidental car crash year that 
I ended up shooting during gun season. Um, we're going to have a discussion, hopefully, with our buddy uh, Rob Loper from the Buck site about his uh, outfitted hunt. That's something that I've never done. So I think it'd be interesting to see how that went for him because he's always been a very hardcore public land guy. So it's going to be interesting to see how his perspective may have changed on that whole thing. And then we also have another buddy who uh, ended up hitting a, our shooting a four point down in Illinois and like to hear how that hunt played out too. So got some fun, uh, fun stories coming up here to uh, talk about. So, yeah. So, bud, let's get into tonight's hot topic, deer management. And I'd like, since I'm seeing a lot of stuff on the good old Facebook world about guys complaining about Wisconsin's terrible deer management and the gun season and how nobody sees any deer, um, I, I would like to go in depth of what our dream scenario would be for the state of Wisconsin. If we were the rulers of the state. If we were the deer rulers of the state would be a good way to put it. So I want to start this discussion off by asking Bud, let's talk about season structure first. If you were the deers are of Wisconsin, <coughs> how would you structure the deer hunting season? Uh, I mean, I, I really don't have a too big of a problem with it. And just to benefit myself, I think what I would do is actually open, I would have an earlier start date, but be buck only kind of like what Tennessee does where we, it's strictly a velvet hunt kind of deal but it gets you that more opportunity to go out hunting. But I would, I would leave it closed to does, you know, just because at that point they're still nursing fawns and everything like that. And I would probably get rid of the later doe hunts, like for gun, just to have a, a better bow season like it used to be. Uh, I guess maybe if I would do anything, if we still are trying to control the doe population, maybe open up, instead of doing a doe season mid-December and the doe season for the holiday hunt, I would do like a, and I don't even want to do that just because you probably lose a lot of bucks, but I could see it doing a gun doe season later in the year. But then I get, I always get worried about uh, shed bucks getting shot. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Because, yeah, it's, it's a very effective way to shoot does late season over food, especially if you have a gun in your hands. But I always worry about shed bucks getting shot, the ones that drop horn early. You know, the nine-day gun season... I kind of like where it falls just for the simple fact that guys that don't, don't bow hunt, you kind of can catch the tail end of the rut a little bit and still have an opportunity. Uh, but as far as that, I kind of like how the season structure is. 
Okay. So in terms of dates and season structure, my dream scenario for the state of Wisconsin, I actually agree with Bud. Um, I would like a early opener. I'd like like a September 1st opener of first um that first weekend in September to be the opener, like where you open on a Friday and I, this is where I, I would differ from you. I'd like to see like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday type deal or a Thursday through Sunday type deal where you have like a four day special buck season. Okay. Um, and then, then it like, again. Yeah. Kind of like Tennessee does it. Then close it down to like the traditional middle of September opener. Um, then after that, just have it the way it's structured now. Uh, I'm fine with the youth seasons in the middle of October. Um, gives them a good, good gives the youth a good opportunity to get out with it out being 30 degrees outside. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind. I'm not sure if Wisconsin has this already. I, I wouldn't mind a little early season muzzleloader hunt on the same time frame as that youth hunt. I think would be kind of cool. Um, just because it'd be easier for, you know, just some older folks to get out there without them freezing their butts off. You know, if you're 80, 90 years old, I'm not sure if you want to go out when it's 30 degrees outside or 20 degrees out. So just, to just to get the op, so almost make it like an elderly slash youth hunt, I think would be kind of cool. Um, then I think, uh, ride that, like. Just have that one weekend. Have your um, first uh, couple weeks of uh, November open for bowl only. Um, and I somewhat agree with Bud on the deer rifle season. Um, I've been thinking about this more and more because um, I've always been anti. Uh, when I, I, I don't like the Thanksgiving week type deal of hunting um so i guess i would change it i would like to see something similar to what iowa does i would like to have like an early gun season and a later gun season um okay just due to the fact towards the end of the rut those bucks are beat up um, they're very worn down. They're at the most vulnerable time of, they're at their most vulnerable state when our gun season comes in and all of a sudden they get pushed and gets to the point where they get exhausted. So what I would like to see is, I'm not sure if, I don't think too many people would, would like this, but I wouldn't mind there to be like, uh, that opening Saturday to like Wednesday. So you got a time period all the way till Thanksgiving to hunt with rifles or guns or whatever, just having like a five day season there. Then we uh, give those deer a break. Um, and I'm even talking like one or two break day break from archery season, you know, like Thanksgiving and, and that Friday, no hunting at all. Like, just full, full closure full closure for two days just let them get the 
let the deer get back to where they need to be, like health wise. Um, I know a lot of people disagree with that, but this is this is my thought. Um, Jared Dream is a ruler. Yep, I'm the ruler. So then reopen on that Saturday um, with uh, just bow only. And what I would do then is uh, run that bow season all the way to muzzleloader, have your typical nine-day muzzleloader season. Then after um, muzzleloader season, open back up firearms for five days and uh, call it good. Um, then after that, I I agree with Bud with the late season doe hunts. Um, I, don't, I don't have anything to differ from Bud on the late season doe hunts. I agree with them and the time period of them and all that stuff. I would like to see them a little bit later, um, like Bud was saying, so you can kill more of them on food sources. Um, so, yeah. So, is there anything that really shocks you or drives you nuts about my my deer ruler ship? No, it all makes sense. Yeah. You know, for yeah. you being more of a bull hunter, I'm not surprised to see you cut out my gun season. <laughs> I'm not cutting it out. Believe it or not, I'm actually, uh, I believe I'd be adding a day of gun season. Well, yeah, but later, like in December when it's even colder. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just hate seeing worn down bucks getting freaking killed off by, by the gun, by the gun crowd. I'm just, I'm, I'm a bull hunter. I'm a bull hunter. So, yeah. But I, 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 I think both. I think both would be better than what we have right now. I would say that. Yeah. So. Um, now, I think we should get into, we talked about season structure. Oh, how late would you run your season? Would you go to, you know, the January 8th or 7th closing? Or would you just keep it open till January 31st, like they have on the, in those metro units? Yeah, I would I would probably just leave it at the eighth and statewide. Okay. You know, and and that's what I don't like. Everybody wants more opportunities and longer seasons, but well, they're complaining that there's no deer. Yeah, uh, I agree with you, and I do like the idea of having those metro units open for late season. I would I would like to see those uh, metro units expanded a little bit, just because. I'm selfish, and I got a farm that's literally a half mile from being in a in a metro unit. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I, really like the, the only people that are benefiting the metro units are are mostly private land guys. Yeah, yeah. It, it it would almost be nice just to make it like a countywide, like for Green Bay, just have Brown County. Being well, that's, that's what I don't get. I mean, yeah, you look at the Green Bay metro unit. Yeah. It's it's literally like two miles from the county line all the way exactly. around. Everything else is metro. Exactly. Why, why not just make it the whole county? Uh, uh, that's the pro- problem I run into. Like literally, like like in, in the farm I have access to is right next to the county line. So it's like, why not? Same thing with Dane County. Just make it the entire county. Like plus that gives more public land opportunity for guys. To, to get on deer still. Yep. 
So, yeah, that, that's the only thing I'd changed when it came to that. And I'd just have it till the 31st, like Bud was saying, off those Metro units. Um, all right, we got the season structure taken care of. Um, next topic would be like deer management itself, like how you would structure like what gets harvested in each like county or each each unit like um how how do you like to see that changed um yeah i would more do probably get you know do the one buck tag and I don't know. I just don't see the point of all the doe tags, you know, for separate counties and everything like that. Uh-huh. I mean, I would, I would get, like, the buck-only areas, and if that's the case, but I, mean, I would try to simplify it where you can just get a doe tag, you know, for the state. Yeah. I, I agree with you. If you're in the southern two-thirds of the state, I... I get it. There's higher deer density areas across the state um, where it's kind of nice. Just make those where you just get the standard bonus tag. Like, just yeah. give a first. If the minimum is two doe tags, just give everyone two doe tags if you're hunting the southern two thirds. Like, easy enough. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's a county in the southern two thirds that's like one doe tag. I don't believe so. Yeah, I think uh, ranging from four to five. Yeah, or so like, like three. Yeah, so just give like the standard two doe tags. Then, if you want your bonus tags, then you know you're kind of on your own. Then just get it for that county because I think where our group is running into problems is because hey, I have a doe take for this county, but not this county. Like, it just gets very frustrating when you got a group of guys that are trying to hunt with each other. Yeah. You know, I, I, yeah, I would just simplify it, you know, because they have, like, the areas, like the northern woods area, the central farmland area, southern farmland area. And yeah. I would just simplify it and say, you have doe takes for southern farmland and then if you want to buy a bonus tag get one for central woodland mm -hmm. yeah no i i think that would make it a lot simpler because yeah we I mean we ran it last weekend where we were scouting all that property we were covering three different counties but there was one county we couldn't get doe ticks because they were sold out already mm -hmm. but they sold out of them but yet they're giving away three with every tag that guy bought. Yep. So obviously there's a lot of tags that weren't being all the way filled. Yeah. So, no, I, I agree with you that on that. It make everything a lot simpler. It opened up probably access to a lot of people because they're like, I don't want to deal with this crap. I just want to go out there and hunt. Where yep. it would make it a lot simpler for people who are new getting out there um so honestly uh 
other than that, I don't think there needs to be much changes in the southern two-thirds of the state. I really don't. Um, I know that there's predators and there's that stuff all over the the southern two-thirds of the state of Wisconsin, but I, I don't see an issue with deer not being around. No. I mean, we we saw deer. We saw deer sign everywhere we went. You know, so I don't think there's a, that's not the lack of deer like everybody says there is. Yeah, yeah. Where I do think there is an issue, and I figure we would get into this topic right now, it's a pretty hot topic, is what would you call it, north of 64 is kind of that cutoff line? That's miraculously where all the deer disappear, yeah. Yeah. Where that's something. Nobody's really seeing bucks. You can't get doe tags, nothing like that. Yeah. Or they're very limited doe tags where you don't get any with your buck tag, and they're only offering a couple hundred. Yeah. As far as bonus. Yeah. So if I were the deer czar of Wisconsin, what I would do for the northern counties is, first of all, I would, as a DNR, I would come out and tell people, have lower expectations. Yeah. I, I would straight up tell them, have lower expectations for northern counties. Um, due to the fact the habitat's not as good as it was years ago. A lot of people are complaining that uh, the ha- say that the habitat's really good up there and all this stuff where I don't think people realized that years ago, what, we had the Petch to go fire. There was a lot of fires in the Northwoods where there was early successional growth up there. Everywhere. Yep. And we're not having those fires nowadays. So that's part of the reason that the deer herd is down up there in... Uh, uh, like guys will come back and say, oh, we have all these clear cuts up here. Yes, but the clear cuts are very, very scattered and they are isolated to like certain parts of counties. For instance, um, me and Bud uh, experienced Lang Lang County a couple years ago. And yes, in the clear cuts, there was good populations of deer. And alongside the road, there's good populations of deer. When we got to the bigger woods where there was not this habitat break, we could not find much for deer at all. Oh. Um, so I think I think something needs to be done. If we're trying to get deer up there, I think we need more prescribed burns and stuff up there um, to get sunlight to that floor. Uh, yeah, after you clear cut, do a burn. Just... It helps the habitat so much when you burn up there. When we go, I don't know how many years without having a fire up there, it makes sense why there's not much for deer up there. Um, what else comes to habitat up there is, yes, there is no egg up there. There, There's just not. You might find a cornfield here, cornfield there, but there's no consistent egg, like the southern half of the state. I would like to see... But in a couple of my buddies were talking about this is something where we could donate like an extra five to ten dollars to the DNR 
to potentially put food plots on public land up in the Northwoods. Yes, I understand this soil is going to be very acidic at first, but maybe they can start it off with some rye or something like that just to get some nitrogen in the soil up there and make it less acidic and get more, more deer, having more opportunities for deer to feed up there. I would like to see that in the Northwoods. Uh, another thing I would like to see in the Northwoods is cleaner access trails, I think, would be nice for people to access. Because normally it's just, just a, it, it is a, just a shit show to get to some of the spots up there. Um, like, even driving the truck on some of these two tracks are just, like, insane. You're not sure if you're going to get in or out. But I, I think opening up some access would be cool. I'm not saying let's take down the, the Northwoods or anything like that. But just clean up a couple trails I think would be nice. And doing that would open up some can canopy. And believe it or not, those deer will feed on those two tracks. There's no doubt about that. It's like a natural food food plot for them. Um, yep. Next thing I want to get into is predator management. Yes, let's talk about the good old wolf. Do I wish there was a wolf hunt? Or I know there's a wolf hunt, but I, do I wish there was a higher quota? Yes, I do wish there was a higher quota of people being able to harvest wolf up there. Um, I don't think the wolves, every single one of them should be killed. I do not believe that. I believe that um, they're they're necessary. They're a wild animal. They should they should have just as much right to be on our lands as we do. Um, I yes, in areas they do uh, take down the deer population quite a bit. Um, however, um, I, I think it's one of those checks and balances things where. It, sometimes it's good to have those predator animals to, to keep the herd herd. If a herd can't sustain its population, maybe it's a good thing that we have some predator species up there. I don't know how much coyotes are a problem up there. Um, I don't know much about that. Uh, bobcats, I know uh, we do have a pretty solid bobcat population in southern Wisconsin. I couldn't speak to those, but I, I just believe that the wolves... There should be a season, but it, I believe that there should still be wolves around. I don't think we should shoot no. and bury every single one of them. Um, I don't know. I, I'll let you run with those two topics first, but the the habitat and the predator type deal. Yeah, I'd like to see some some habitat improvement, especially you know, like we were saying, like the the food plots just just for the simple fact of adding a, a winter some sort of winter food for them i mean yeah you go up there there's acorn you you can't hunt acorns up there because there's just acorns everywhere <clears throat> but once they're done with acorns what do they have they're back down to woody browse then mm -hmm. you know it's uh, it would be nice to see a, a controlled scenario where they would, could have a solid winter food source especially with trying to get through the harsher winters up there you know where they, they might be dealing with snow for five months of the year 
and as far as the predators, uh, I am along the rounds, uh, along the lines the same as you. Everything needs to be controlled. Uh, it's obviously yes. Once the wolves got reintroduced, that's when a lot of people started seeing a downward tick as far as deer sightings. And of course, you read on the Almighty Facebook. You know, I didn't see any deer, but I saw. 800 wolf tracks well it's one of those things you have to learn to adapt with these animals too those wolves are out there doing the same thing you are they're out there hunting and what happens if you pressure deer too much they don't vanish they go somewhere else and that's what these guys that are seeing all the wolf tracks well, okay obviously there's a pack of wolves in the area they they move the deer around go find somewhere else don't hunt the same spot you've been hunting the last 25 years just because it's your family tradition. Go and venture out. Go find, there's not wolf on every acre of land up there. It's a pack animal. They migrate. They move. They move with the deer. That's what they're doing. You know, it's, do I think that there should be a higher quota? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to see them wiped out either. You know, that's, Everything has a right to be here, but I just wish we would not get so much pushback every time we want to do a hunt. Because mm -hmm. every year we get a hunt, and let alone just to get the quota we have, but then right away we have judges and organizations trying to shut the hunt down. Well, that's not the right thing either. That's you don't want to wipe them out, but yet we we got to take some out. You know, and as far as the bobcat and coyote, you know, lynx, bear, well, they've been around forever. They're not the ones changing the population as of right now. You know, and everybody knows there's always too many coyotes. <laughs> but a coyote, a coyote, I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not a, I haven't studied them or done anything, but I think they're more of, like they say, the fawn killers. Yep. You know, they're more of an issue in springtime. Yeah. Now, right right now, they're going to take down a wounded deer. Yeah. Which, and, I mean, I guess at least they're taking it out of its suffering, but. Yeah. And I think an underrated animal uh, that we haven't talked about yet is the raccoon population. The raccoon population is getting crazy. Oh, like, yeah. It's... That does a lot of damage on your fawns too so but that's more of a southern two-thirds of wisconsin problem and not nor necessarily a northern uh northern half or third of the state but i've just i've just noticed so many raccoons lately it's it's insane um it, and i i agree with bud that people have to be willing to adapt and I think people should go into the north into the Northwoods with a mindset like that. Like when Bud and I did the Langlaid hunt a couple of years ago, uh, when we found wolves, we didn't find deer. When we got away from the wolf, when we got away from the wolves, we did find deer. Um, I'm not. Yes, uh, it changes the experience a little bit, but. Um, of you just hunting your family's 40 or family's 80 
to go venture out on some public ground. And another thing that a lot of guys don't think of is, yes, we were talking about how the habitat's not the greatest up there, um, but... Deer, maybe, deer have been living up there for hundreds of years. Yeah, but maybe adapting moving towards towns is something, because like Bud was saying, you know, they got five months of winter. Well, they got to find areas where there's not as much snow and where they can still get to um, nutritious um, browse-type stuff. And believe it or not, like bushes in people's yards in the Northwoods um, provide some pretty good, some pretty good wintering habitat. And I, I've just noticed spending my time at uh, some uh, Airbnbs and stuff like that up towards Eagle River, Manaqua, that type of stuff during the winter time period, the deer really snack, stack into those cities. And I've seen some very nice bucks coming off of public going into those cities. So that's where you got to be willing to adapt. Yeah, I think that's that's the name of the game now is adapt. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, growing up, yeah, I mean, even not even growing up, me, me and my dad, we never really hunted the same pieces a lot. It's, it was kind of, you know, we hunted a lot of private, but we always jumped around to different guys' private chunks. Yeah. Here's a question for you. This is just playing devil's advocate. What do you think about having a shorter season in the Northwoods? Like a shorter gun season, shorter archery season. As far as just trying to... Yeah, like maybe an October 1st opener and maybe like um, a no, uh, December 15th closer in the Northwoods. Uh, I wouldn't, it wouldn't do any harm. I mean, especially up there. I, I would definitely be for the earlier closer. Just because, I mean, coming off the rifle season and then... I mean, they already got, I think so far this year, they're already sitting at like seven inches of snow. And that was before December 1. Yeah. You know, so just think of, I mean, it's, it's hard on them. It's a shock yeah. to everybody once you start getting snow. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I never thought of until right now. Maybe, maybe that's something worth considering. Even, you know still have the mid-September opener and maybe close up shop December 1st. And it sucks to be those guys for that late season hunt up there. But I mean, vocals, yeah, but yeah, but if you got to travel an hour to go hunt Southern two thirds, it, it might be worth it to keep your population higher up there. Um, yeah. And maybe in the long run, that might help you help you like fill your tags earlier in the year so you don't have to hunt late season yeah and that's the thing is like every they complain about their deer sightings up there but then when the dnr tries to increase the population by cutting out all the doe tags up there well then people are complaining then they don't have opportunity yeah well it's it, it seems like it's well it's a topic that you're definitely never going to please everybody. Yeah. That's why it's a fun topic, though, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, is there any else, anything else that you think of that would 
would help get the deer population higher up there. Talked about habitat, predator. Talked about the season structure a little bit. I guess Not one one other thing I would change would be kind of along the lines where you said like the voluntarily donation for the food plots. I would straight up increase license price. Oh, I agree with you there. You know, and maybe not as much as far as the resident. I mean, because, I mean, if you just bump that up to 30 bucks, mm-hmm. um, and maybe to cut a break, what I would do is I would actually do a bow and gun combo where if you buy both every year, you get that for like 50. You know, that's a good idea. You know, as far as the resident, but I mean, the non resident, man, that's got to go up. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, no that's, I, that's so freaking cheap for them guys coming in. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree with you. I think this is like a more holistic uh, type of state conversation where I agree with you, but I like the idea of raising the tag. I mean, $24 is, in my opinion, you can't beat a deal like that. I don't think in any other state. I mean, oh. I was just across the the river there in Iowa, and their resident tags forty two dollars. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I and believe they have like a doll. Yeah, and I believe they have a habitat uh, stamp too that they need to purchase on top of that deer tag. So it's almost like a fifty dollar tag. Where I would like to see a $30, $30 tag, like Bud was saying. Um, and I would still like something of a potential donation thing. Where it's like $5. You know, it, it gives it gives people an option. Because I don't, I would hate to force somebody. You have to spend $5 on this. But if somebody wants to donate $5 and say if we get 100,000 hunters that do that, that's $500,000. Yeah, $500,000 worth of improvement we can do, not only for deer, but uh, pheasant, grouse, rabbit. Yeah, just fish. Um, I mean, just look at, look at all the other species. Okay, waterfall, we have to buy a state stamp. All that money goes towards waterfall hunting. Pheasant hunting, you have to buy a pheasant stamp. Turkey, you have to buy a turkey stamp. All that money is allocated to go and help that species. Why isn't there something like that for deer? Yeah. I would like to see that, you know, for deer. And I, I would like, since people are very unsure of what the DNR do, are doing, say if you do donate, it would be nice for the DNR to come around and be like, hey, this is the project we're doing with this money. This is the project yeah. we're doing with that money. Just so we can see where the money is going, I think would be an outstanding idea. Um, yeah. And I also agree with Bud, non-resident tags have to go up. 165, you won't find a better deal deal in the country. That's the reason we guys have guys coming up from Arkansas. We have guys coming from I saw Wyoming. I've seen South Dakota, uh, Mississippi, um, Illinois. Illinois is a big one. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it just uh, let's get let's get on board with that, at least Missouri two twenty five a for resident tag. I mean, and Missouri's a hell of a deal too. I don't I don't I don't think there's much better than than a, a Missouri tag. 
even. Yeah. Just look at how much you just paid for your Iowa. Yeah. Over <laughs> nine, four years. 900 bucks. 900 bucks total. But, I mean, you can tell that they have a good handle on their both their private and public uh, management. And they, they can run programs where um, they call, call it like ditches for wildlife, where there's pheasant habitat around ditches. They got food plots. They, they just have a good holistic view on how to manage wildlife in Iowa. And I mean, yeah. their, their tags, their tags don't lie. Even getting a trout, trout license over there for the years, like 50, 60 bucks. Yeah. But I mean, they stock their streams. They, they just have a good management. And I'm not saying Wisconsin has to do all these things, but I think, um, just small increments where, you know, we're willing to give a little bit more can go a long way towards managing all wildlife in Wisconsin. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, would so you like? I, I thought of something. You know, this kind of goes with the predator, but it's not really a predator. Do you think that the elk are doing anything to the deer population? I could see that. I mean, that's a competition for food, competition for space. I mean, yeah, obviously their their population is a lot smaller than the deer, but bigger animal though takes up more browse and feed. Yep, it's a lot more calories they got to eat. That's a good point. I think that's something that no one's talking about. No, because everybody wants the elk. Mm-hmm. That's that's a that's a good point. That is a very good point. I I think that has something to do with it in certain areas in the northern section of the state. Um, that could be pushing deer out. Um, however, that's it, kind of one of those bittersweet things. Do you want more deer or do you want elk? <laughs> yep. Um, from a southern two thirds. And I don't hunt the Northwoods very much. Bring on the elk. <laughs> yeah. But you had that one close to you this year. Yeah. We had, uh, we, in my area, uh, so far, so over this season, they've had more elk sightings than they've ever had before in southwestern Wisconsin. Um, yeah. Uh, there's like 10 to 15 different elk down here now. Bull elk. That's not even counting elk. Uh, counting cows, sorry. Um, so they're moving around. <laughs> yeah. Kind of kind of exciting. Kind of exciting times that we're living in in terms of the elk um, herd. So um, would you like to see any like other general rule changes when it comes to the DNR rule book? <laughs> As far as, like, just, yeah, in general or just deer-specific? Uh, spotlighting deer. Um. Uh, I mean, yeah, the shining. I'm perfectly fine with the shining. Yep, I'm perfectly yep. fine with the shining. I'm just trying to think of any, any other hot topics that are in the Wisconsin rule book that... Um, back tags, you for them, you against them. I've take them or leave them i really don't i mean yeah it's nice what what i don't 
what was nice about them was we had our tags printed out on good freaking paper. You know? But at the same time, it's really nice to where we can go anywhere and at the touch of a on our smartphone, we can buy any license and we don't have to have that yeah. nice copy and stuff like that. Yes. I, I did see that on Facebook. That's the reason the deer herd is down is because the the online registration. It's because we don't have back tags anymore. Um, yeah. However, I don't think that's an issue because if you harvest an animal, you still have to prove that you registered that animal. So yeah. it's just like having a back tag. So for all the guys that are saying, ah, bring back back tags, I mean, <laughs> you're supposed to have proof of harvest, all the meat stuff, regardless if you have a back tag or not. So that's kind of ir- yeah. irrelevant. I think what they want, they want the in-person registration. Yeah. The metal tag, the metal tag around the horn, the metal tag through the ear. Yeah. You know, they want that back, but it still comes down to if you're a poacher, you're a poacher. Yeah. Whether you have to do an online registration or an in-person registration, if you're doing it illegal, you're not going to register it. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's yeah. exactly right. It to me it's more of are you a hunter or yeah, poacher? Yeah. I mean, it's it's an ethical question, and it is, in my opinion, I don't think that's something the DNR should have to worry about. You, as the hunter, should know right or wrong. Yeah. So, and if you're a poacher, you're going to get away with it regardless. Yeah. Or get caught eventually, just like in Richland County, or I think it was Richland or Monroe, I don't. It was right in our county. They just busted a guy, two guys with what, 50 or 150 deer or something like that? Something like that. (laughs) So, hey, they were caught. So, good job, DNR and Sheriff's Department. So Yeah, it's, if if guys, especially if they're poaching horns, they're going to break to the wrong person. They're going to get caught doing that. Yeah. You know, if they're poaching just for meat, well, they might get away with it, but yeah. So most of the time they get caught. Yeah. Because every time they do it and they don't get caught, it just gives them more confidence to do it again. Yeah. The more times you do it, the more times you're gonna get caught. Yeah. Um. Any other? Man, I think what we have for equipment's fine. Um. I mean, I guess my. You know, and uh, somebody was going to put me on a freaking uh, stake in a fire for this, but I, I'm i fine with eliminating baiting. Yeah, I agree. You know, and everybody's going to be like, well, what about food plots? And exactly. And I'm totally for food plots. Now, is food plots baiting? I mean, that's in the eyes of the beholder. Yeah. Um, what, I, what I am for is subsidize subsidized feeding yeah i think i don't know is that what it is i i want to put more food on the ground for the deer to get through winter yeah um you know, and, I, and i think even like putting corn out after season if it's a hard winter but same time it's the whole cwd thing but yeah well the way i i look at that if it's 
managed, I know people are going to hate it, by the DNR, where they almost spread the corn out like it's a food plot. Yeah. Like, where maybe they spread... They're not pounds, Yeah, 100 pounds of corn over, like, two acres. I mean, how is that any different than a cornfield? Um, yeah. I, I think the baiting thing, I agree with you, bud. I just hate seeing the 500 pounds of corn in one freaking bay pile. Yeah. That's, it's uncalled for. To me, that's something that's unethical. Um, yeah, it's simple as that. Um, however, I, I'm not a fan of the bait pile, but I, I don't see the harm if it's like a gallon. Say if a yeah. guy goes up, puts a gallon out, but seeing even like 100 pounds of corn being put out or 100 pounds of corn or 100 pounds of apples being put out, not for that, but, you know, say if you put uh, a one-gallon bucket because you're trying to get your kid a deer, that's that's a different type of deal for me. Yeah. And, and I don't think a bait pile like that hampers deer movement as much as, like, putting, like, 100 pounds of corn down. <laughs> yeah, every night. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of where I stand on on the baiting. Um, the next topic that I thought of, I don't think we could cover in this podcast, is CWD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other deal. But, uh, man, I think we covered a lot of topics. I mean, we've been chatting for about an hour here. And uh, I think we're just on the tip of the iceberg. I think if we got a rule book in front of us, we could nitpick some more. But I think we hit some really good points right there. Um, be interesting to see what uh, our listeners have out there. So if you guys reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram, it'd be interesting to see what some of your viewpoints are. And maybe you guys can change our minds on a couple of things, but because uh, we're always li- willing to listen to people. Um, Bud and I don't know everything, but I feel like these are some good uh, good ideas that could be potentially used down the road for sure. Yeah. So, any other topics or anything else you want to discuss with the, our fine listeners? No, I think I should be good. Yeah. At least until well, next week. Yeah, next week. I'm not sure what we're, who we're going to talk to next week about Harvest. Maybe we'll get uh, Zeb on here. Uh, we can talk about our kind of double and up type deal. Uh, maybe we'll get Tonson on. Maybe we'll get Mr. Loper on to discuss his hunt. Either way, I think this discussion was pretty fun. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this, uh, whether you're riding in a car or at work. Um, Once again, we appreciate your ears. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks.